Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast, your go-to source for insights and strategies in the HVAC, plumbing, and roofing industries. I'm Corey Barrier, here to guide you through transformative approaches to business and mindset. Each episode will explore unique methods, focusing on identifying and addressing the core challenges in your field. Our goal is to equip you and your team with practical solutions that foster growth and success. So whether you're tuning in for the first time or you're a longtime listener, get ready to dive into a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Let's begin our journey to success together. This is the successful life. It's Corey Barrier. Yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn. To live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, Successful Life Podcast is a space where you can hear stories from badass entrepreneurs and influencers that collectively have millions of listeners and followers. You get to hear their backstories and where they are currently. We discuss how precious your life is and crucial it is to live with a purpose and die knowing the person looking in the mirror today. This is the successful life. Corey Barrier, yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your time to live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast. I am your host, Corey Barrier, and I'm here with Dr. Sean Baker. What's up, Sean? How are you? I'm good, man. I'm doing great, Corey. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Here to, as you can see, I'm out here in a field of cows. I don't know if you have a video, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah, I do see that. I think that's pretty interesting. Some of the other videos that I've seen of you had a black background, but I like this one better. So, Sean, tell me, uh, is it okay if I call you Sean? Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, absolutely. I've been, okay. called, a lot, I've been called a lot worse, so I'm, I'm fine with that. <laughs> um, so... Sean, typically, you know, the audience wants to hear about who you are, what you've done. Obviously, you're a medical doctor, um, and then you also have some very unique um, opinions and personal data, for sure, uh, on your carnivore diet, which I definitely want to hear about. So if you want to go ahead and, and take off, I'm excited to hear your story, brother. Yeah, I mean, so I'll kind of try to summarize the best I can. There's been a lot of things I've been been and done. And so, I mean, you know, I went to college. I got into medical school. Uh, halfway through medical school, I quit to go play professional rugby. I lived out in New Zealand, did that. Joined the Air Force, was a nuclear weapons guy while I was still playing rugby. By the time I turned 30, I got tired of getting kicked in the head on the rugby field and decided to go back to medical school. The military then paid for that, so I went back, uh, you know, you know, in a civilian program, got through medical school. I graduated with honors, you know, got into very difficult uh, surgical uh, training program in orthopedics, spent five years learning how to become an orthopedic surgeon, then went back into the military. Part of that time, I was deployed over to seas to Afghanistan, where I dealt with all kinds of crazy traumas, you might imagine, uh, and then went on to back into civilian life, where I led a group of uh, a whole bunch. I was ahead of a bunch of the surgical department uh, for, for orthopedics. Did that for several years. Uh, all while this was going on, I rotated through different sports. I was, uh, I guess, started out as a power lifter where I'd gotten to where I was pulling national and American records as a drug-free power lifter, topping out at 
772 pounds back around, I think it was about 33 when I did that. And then I transitioned into strongman competitions where I took fifth at the very first ever, you know, national championships in the U.S. and, and competing again as a drug-free athlete. And I realized that I wanted to be professional, successful strongman. I'd have to take drugs and I didn't want to go that route. So I didn't. So then I got into um, throwing, competitive throwing. I took up the Highland Games, which is where you kind of don a kilt and you run around in field and you throw various implements, you know, cavers, which look like big telephone poles and weights and hammers and and I ended up uh, winning a, a national championship and a world championship in that. And then uh, I did a little bit, I dabbled a little bit in track and field where I threw all American as a masters in, in three different events, the discus, the weight and the super weight. And then I got tired of being, you know, 280, 290 pounds. So I slimmed down, switched down to like 240 now. And I, and I switched to uh, competitive rowing and the indoor rowing in the concept two machine. Uh, and I've, I've uh, set six American records, three world records, and I've won just this last year the world championship in that. So that's been my uh, athletic and sort of career background up to this point. Um, obviously, right now I just published a book called The Carnivore Diet. I'm not an author. I've been speaking all over the world on talking about the importance and, uh, and the healthfulness of, it, of including meat in the diet. In fact, some people are complete or who died is completely, completely meat, which I think is also completely healthy. And uh, I, I went through my own sort of transition when I got in my 40s. Despite all the athletic success I had, despite all the training I was doing, my diet was catching up to me. And so about mid-40s, I was, you know, starting to get obese. I wasn't, you know, my, I was developing sleep apnea, hypertension, metabolic syndrome, achy joints, and all that stuff. And I just said, hey, I got to fix this. I'm, 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 I should be able to fix this. And so I went through a big dietary journey of about seven years, which about a little over three years ago culminated me adopting this carnivorous diet. And I've been on a fully carnivorous diet now for, I'm starting my fourth year of that. Tell, tell the audience exactly what that looks like. Uh, you, you mean for a carnivore diet? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty simple for me. I eat steaks for breakfast, steaks for dinner, and that's it. I mean, it's pretty, pretty damn simple for me right now, personally. Um, I will, from time to time, like I said, I'm getting ready to compete in the world championships again. And I'm going to Paris in France to defend my title. And when I train, when I want to feel my best, it's just straight up red meat and water. That's how I feel my best. Uh, at times I'll include dairy. At times I'll include seafood. I'll include eggs. But oh, to be honest, I just feel better on red meat and water. And so do most people that do this over the long haul. Uh, so that, that's really what it is. As simple as that, just, just a bunch of meat, like a, like a, like a, kind of like a, a lion or something. I mean, I'm not saying I'm a lion, but I mean, it's a very simple diet. It doesn't take any planning or, uh, you know, anything. You just eat when you're hungry, you eat till you're full and then you eat again when you're hungry again. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. And that's how every other, every other animal on the planet does it that way. And, and sure. Well. You know, so one of the things that they, that, that the movie, right. Talked about the game changers movie. Um, and, and the reason why I, I was so interested in talking to you Personally, is because my wife and I watched the movie, and I've, I've eaten steak and meat and uh, all my life, period. And so she, we watched the movie, and by the end of the movie, I was like, God, you've got to be fucking kidding me with this. Like, how have I not known about all this shit that they're talking about, right? So, you know, it talks about, well, you, I'm sure you've seen the movie. Um, there's, they, they make a whole bunch of points. And then, of course, you know, James, James Wilkes goes on the show 
um, Joe Rogan show uh, and really blast the guy. The guy didn't seem to have a whole lot of answers. Why do you think that is? You think he just was underqualified or what do you think, you know, how much, how much truth is there to a norm, normal folks? I mean, first of all, you, you're not normal. You, I had no idea you were such an, I mean, I knew you were an athlete, but I didn't know you were this kind of athlete. Like it's pretty outstanding, dude. So I'm, I'm actually quite impressed. Um, and you're how old going back to defend your, your title? Uh, I'll be 53 uh, in, 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 a, in a month. Okay. And let's talk about, uh, I know I just threw a whole bunch of questions at you. So let, let's start with what, is, why do you think that, you know, this movie came out and why do you think people are buying into it? Why, why the hell did I buy into it? Why did I, and, and I guess just, I guess start with that, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, if we look at the producers of the films, you know, Cameron has got a huge vested interest in in a pea processing facility. I mean, he's invested $140 million in that. He wants to be the largest manufacturer in the world of pea protein. So there's that sort of bias going in. But when you look at the study, and I did a 50-minute review on that, just I watched it twice and did a kind of kind of a cursory review on it, just looking at it, and you, you immediately can see all the flaws in what they're doing. And so they basically, like any agenda driven documentary they just paint a picture showing you just enough information to kind of convince you and then, and then throwing some emotional stuff in there and mo- much of that stuff is misleading it's either factually incorrect or factually they leave out relevant facts and just give you a part of that so that you make make your case and so i'll give you one example you know when you talk about that again i'm assuming you're talking about when when james willis was defending his film to chris Cresser on joe rogan's podcast and he basically yelled and screamed and belittled Chris Kresser, you know, and, and just it was trying to make his point. Well, I mean, like, you know, this one example, he talks, he talks about getting vitamin B12 and he, and he reads a study or he reads an excerpt from a study saying that people were eating vegetables and they didn't wash their hands and therefore they didn't get any problems from B12 deficiency. When, when you go back and actually read the study, he fails to mention that those vegetables happen to be grown in human manure. And they were covered in human feces. Mm. That is the only reason they were getting, uh, you know, B12 in that situation is not that 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 is not consistent with saying that all humans could get B12 from eating a little bit of dirt on their vegetables, unless they just happen to be in primate feces, which is very unlikely the case. Remember, we weren't planting crops back then, fifty thousand years ago. I mean, we just we were foraging off the wild, and unless you know, a monkey came in there and took a dump on it and we decided that was really tasty and we ate it. It's unlikely we would have done that. He points to water in the streams, but then he doesn't tell you that to get the an adequate amount of B12, you'd have to drink something like five or six gallons a day or eat like, you know, a half a pound of dirt or something like that. So it's very disingenuous and he's getting there. And when you show studies that no one's ever had a chance to read before, like he was doing to Chris Cresser and just say, look, this study says this, you're wrong. One, you can't even read the study. And two, you 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 could probably say, look, there's there's six other studies that just refute that. So it was not really a, you know, a, a I mean, he I mean, obviously it was a good tactic, but it wasn't it wasn't the truth. I mean, he was he was basically just cherry picking and, and misrepresenting the data and flat out lying in some cases. And so um, it's unfortunate. But that's again, that's a big audience. That's what people are going to see. That's what they're going to hear. And it's it's you've got to do your own you've got to do your own research and, and think critically. So, um, thank you for that. Um, you know, 
I felt I, I tell you one thing I found very interesting, which I'm sure uh, you have an opinion on. This is is Arnold Schwarzenegger talking about being, you know, plant based, and and of all people on the planet, he would be the last person I would have anticipated. This episode of the Successful Life Podcast is brought to you by House Call Pro. Whether you're looking to streamline your operations, reduce paperwork, or boost revenue, House Call Pro is your all-in-one business solution. Transform your business today with essential tools and support designed to drive efficiency and deliver exceptional customer service. To learn more, click the link in the show notes. Well, I mean, obviously, Arnold Schwarzenegger has a very uh, significant relationship with James Cameron. I mean, James Cameron, you know, Terminator and some of the other films he's been in. I mean, he's he's basically helped Garble to make, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. And so I think Arnold Schwarzenegger feels a little bit compelled to help James Cameron out. Arnold Schwarzenegger is not a vegan. He's never been a vegan. He's built all of his muscle eating meat. I mean, that's pretty clear. He would have never been who he was had he relied on plant-based proteins throughout his bodybuilding career. I mean, it just doesn't work. There's no... Mr. Olympia, highly top-level pro bodybuilder that's vegan. It just doesn't happen. You know, can you be an athlete as a vegan? Sure. Can you be uh, at your optimum? I would say it's very unlikely, at least in the vast majority of sports who are there. And so I think he's just, you know, it's, it's pretty trendy to do this right now, say, oh, I'm plant-based. I'm doing this for the animals or the environment. And what we're seeing is these multinational corporations, these big, big processed food companies that are now trying to co-opt that message and say, look, our, our cheap processed food, which really isn't very good for you, but it's, it's, it's environmentally friendly. Uh, we're going to get you to buy this. We're going to get you to buy the Beyond Meat burgers. We're going to get you to buy the Impossible burgers. We're going to get you to buy the plant protein powders, the foods that say, I have plant proteins in them marked on the label. And it's all cheap garbage. It's highly profitable. And these people are preying on our uh, gullibility. To, to buy this stuff. And this is where all the funding is going from. We are just basically, we lack critical thinking skills and all we do is repeat the best funded propaganda out there. So all we are is like sheep bleeding about what we're hearing. And, and when you really look at this stuff, man, there's a lot of holes in it. You know what's, what, I, what made me think when you, when you said that, which is slightly off the subject, but you know, it's like Peloton, right? The whole ship that's going on with Peloton. I bet you, if if you would have asked the guy or, or the girl, whoever it was that made such a big stink out of this, that really caused this tidal wave of shit for Peloton, if you would have asked them, hey, how, how does it make you feel that you took the, 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 the income away from all these people in – uh, that work for Peloton that, that now will be laid off, I wonder what their response would have been. Because do you see where, I, where the correlation, how I'm? Uh, Corey, unfortunately, I have no idea anything about Peloton. I just, I don't know what's going on with those guys. I know they're, oh, they're like a bike company, so I haven't paid attention. So I'm yeah. not sure. Well, if somebody hadn't told me about it, now granted, I'm in the, I've been, I'm not no longer necessarily in the health and wellness industry, but I've been in it for so long, I'm surrounded by it, which looks like you. But so, so basically, uh, and, and I'll be the first to tell you, I didn't see the ad, but what, well, essentially what it was was a guy telling his wife, hey, I want you to be healthier and lose a little bit of weight. He didn't say it shitty. I mean, that it wouldn't make sense for them to say it shitty. Um, and, and they've lost a billion and a half dollars overnight. 
like stocks plummeted, everything. I mean, it's a disaster. Or And they're bouncing back. But God, just because people want to, like you said, jump on the bandwagon with the plant protein stuff or the plant-based stuff, it's the same thing as the Peloton stuff. People got behind that because they, you know, they the way they perceived the commercial, which is stupid, because the facts weren't there. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of marketing. I mean, you know, like I said, at the end of the day, uh, you know, I, I don't know where you want to take this conversation, but I mean, I look at outcomes in people and I, I, I kind of dismiss theory unless proven in, in, in the arena that we want to improve it. In. And, and so I think that uh, we have a lot of, you know, the, uh, nutrition science in general is just an extremely poor, in, in a extremely poor science. It's, it's almost, you could call it a pseudoscience. We don't have good data on what people are supposed to eat. And so we're, we're, we're basically using this highly, inaccurate, highly speculative, highly manipulated, highly influenced data to, to drop whatever message we want. And it's, it's, it's harming a lot of people and it's making, and it's enriching a very few, not a few, a few minutes of people. And so, uh, you know, it's the same old thing. I mean, there's some guys making a bunch of money off our gullibility and there's everybody else is sitting there uh, depressed and, and anxious and fat and sick and tired and frustrated and give me a pill for this, give me a pill for that. I mean, it's just what's going on. And, 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 you know, these guys are laughing all the way to the bank about it. Right, right, exactly. Um, so, you know, I did, you know, I listened to the podcast with Joe, your your podcast with Joe Rogan. And have you, I noticed at the first of it, he was shocked that you had not done your blood work. Um, have you, I know, granted, it was two years ago, but have you done your blood work? To be sure you have since. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is a problem. I mean, Joe is not a doctor. Joe doesn't know that much about clinical medicine. I've been doing this stuff forever. I mean, I can tell you with uh, pretty good certainty that most of the blood work we look at is generally fairly meaningless. I mean, it, I mean, not to not to say that it doesn't have its uses, but when we're looking at chronic disease, you know, it's. I mean, you've got to really get look into it with context. Having said that, I did some blood work just because people were complaining about it. So I took some labs. I did a bunch. I had my core. I did my heart scan, which I think is more relevant. I did a coronary artery calcium scan after, you know, at least five years on a high fat diet and a couple of years of eating all meat. And my coronary artery calcium scan, which shows, you know, arterial plaque, calcified plaque in the heart, was completely zero. It was pristine. You know, as far as my labs go. Uh, you know, my inflammation markers were extremely low. My insulin sensitivity was super high. You know, my triglycerides were super low. My liver and, and kidney function was normal. Um, I had a little bit elevated blood glucose, which people are freaking out about, but they don't understand the physiology because I, as an athlete, you see that because it's, you see gluconeogenesis making this demand-based glucose. And I had, but I had extremely, I coupled that with extremely low insulin. So extremely insulin sensitive, you know, uh, people criticized that my testosterone was low, but I mean, it's like testosterone varies throughout the day. I mean, we see androgen receptor sensitivity goes up. I mean, I'm literally sitting here deadlifting, you know, 500 pounds for, you know, multiple, you know, for eight, 10, 10 reps at 52, 53 years of age without drugs, without testosterone. And people are telling me, well, you got low testosterone. I'm like, you guys just don't understand. People don't understand how, how physiology works. Um, and so they, 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 these people that only have like tiny fraction of medical knowledge will look at some of the lab and they'll say oh well this lab was bad i guarantee i can take any person on the planet and order 100 labs 
and I will find some labs that are outside of the standard reference range. And I can say, well, you're obviously sick, or you can look at the whole clinical picture and look at the person in front of you sitting there and saying, look, lean, muscular, athletic, breaking world records in sports, you know, uh, you know, everything that you would consider a sign of good health. If you didn't, if you didn't have it, you would, you would say yeah, that's the case. But if one lab is not perfect, oh my God, you're killing yourself. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And so, I mean, you know, I get, I think Rogan is finally, you know, maybe starting to learn that a little bit better. And I think the people, the population in general, even physicians, you know, they come around, I talk to a lot of physicians out there, like, yeah, the labs are not that helpful. I mean, again, I don't want to say they're not helpful at all for certain situations, but for what we're trying to ask, the questions we're trying to answer uh, without, you know, understanding physiology and understanding clinical um, situation, you, you know, you, you, you often don't know how to interpret those labs. Well, you know, it's interesting because I owned, I owned a hormone replacement lab, speaking of testosterone, and we did testosterone and growth hormone, anti-aging, the whole, the whole deal. And if you look at a lab that's your normal range, so to speak, your, what, what it's called normal range, um, is typically actually low from, according to the anti, you know, the America anti, American anti-aging association, right? So I agree with you. It, you don't know what really what to believe. And, and really you have to trust your own body. Um, and you have to listen to your body. Most importantly, I would say that's the biggest thing is if you listen to your body, if something's bothering you, then you have to tweak that, but you have to be in tune with your body as well. And I don't know that most people are in tune with their body uh, as much as say somebody like you or myself are. I mean, I'm personally going through uh, some kind of something with my stomach and I can't figure out what it is. And to your point, you know, I've gone to the doctor, gone to the hospital, da, 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 the labs, nothing shows up, colonoscopy, nothing shows up. And so, but my stomach hurts. So, you know, uh, I, I don't really know at this point where to turn, really. Um, so even though the labs don't show anything, that doesn't mean there's not a problem. And even if the labs did show something, that doesn't mean there is a problem, I think is basically what you're saying. And I agree. Yeah, I mean, there. I mean, there are people walking around with "quote unquote" great-looking labs that are just sick as can be. I mean, they're miserable. I mean, as far as you, if you would ask them subjectively, how do you feel? And they're like, "I feel like garbage." Oh, but your LDL cholesterol is below a hundred. Yippee d. You know, and, and conversely, there's people that will have labs that are outside of the reference range, which, by the way, were determined on basically sick people. I mean, we we have standard labs are based on a population of sick people. Uh, you know, not athletes, not people that are in you know good shape or, or on a real super healthy diet. It's standard American diet, standard American labs. If you don't fall within there, some people will say maybe you're unhealthy. I would argue that we probably don't know all that yet at this point. I would say you're. I would say that you're very much so correct. Um, so let's go back for a second. Uh, you mentioned you know you know being able to compete without using drugs. Uh, at different stages of your life, do, do, do most people that are lifting as much as you do, are they, are they using testosterone? Is that, is that the general consensus, would you say? Or, I mean, you know, I don't know. I mean, I know as a physician, I saw a lot of, a lot of men on testosterone that, you know, weren't lifting and they were still fat. You know, I mean, I, I don't, you know, and I, I'm, I, I don't take the stuff. I never have. I've always sort of, I'd rather 
just listen, let my own body deal with what it needs to do. I think there's reasons why we have, why we produce testosterone and it's done in response to the environment and in response to different stresses. And when, as long as that system is working healthy, there's no reason to add stuff to that. Now, having said that, most guys that are my age in their 50s that are lifting about what I lift or somewhere near and I'm lifting still pretty damn heavy, most, many of those guys are on either steroids or testosterone replacements and sometimes at super physiological levels of testosterone. I, I just don't, I just don't have an interest in doing that personally. I'm not going to belittle somebody for taking that, but I would say that the majority of people that are taking it probably don't need to be on it. I think if they were to really and truly tighten up their lifestyle, get a good diet, get good sleep, train hard, get good at sun exposure, you know, light exposure, do the right things they would probably find that their testosterone function would be what it should be, which would be normal. I don't think, you know, we should see declining. And when I talk about testosterone function, I talk about clinical endpoints, and that is waking up every day with erection, having you know, the capacity to have sex in a normal fashion, being able to have lean body mass, being able to put on muscle, to have good cognitive and mood. All those things are clinical outcomes from having well-functioning testosterone. It doesn't necessarily come from an injection or you know sub or whatever patch or sublingual. It comes from you having a healthy metabolism, healthy you know a healthy lifestyle. And I think that is what I I like to to sort of represent. I suppose. No, and that makes that makes total sense. So, um, what what are your feelings on growth hormone and in human growth hormone? Well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, I, I don't, I don't take it. I don't prescribe it. I, I don't recommend anybody do that. I mean, outside of maybe a kid with, you know, a, you know, a pituitary issue that doesn't grow. But I mean, as, as an adult, uh, it's usually a drug of abuse. Um, I think that the uh, data out there on, on showing whether or not it helps people is very equivocal. In many cases, um, the, the, probably the, 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 the cons exceed the pros in my view. Again, I, I don't advocate for any drug. I don't care what it is. I mean, at this point, I think you can fix it all through proper diet, sleep, you know, exercise, lifestyle. Absolutely. No, I, I, I agree. Obviously. I mean, you're almost 53 years old and for you to be able to deadlift over 500 pounds is fucking insane to me. Like, it's just crazy. How tall are you? Six. You I'm gotta, six, five. I'm six, five. I'm six, five, about two forty right now. Yeah. Okay. So let's, I'm glad you, I'm glad you said the 240 part. So let's go back to the age 44 really quick. That picture I saw of you at age 44, you were completely out of shape. You look nothing like you do now. What happened? Did you just get caught up in the rustle and bustle of working and being overseas or, or what was it? What got you in the shape that you were in? Yeah, I mean, when I was 44, I was a strong son of a bitch. I mean, I, I just, uh, that was my 44th birthday. I pulled 700 pounds on my 40th birthday. I'd snatched 175 pounds with a, with a barbell with one hand. I mean, I was training hard and heavy, and I was eating a lot. You know, and I wasn't, my focus wasn't on, my focus was, I just won the Highland Games World Championships. I mean, and, and I was competing against guys that were 50, 60, 70 pounds heavier than me. I mean, these guys are 350, 360. And so that was a sport I was competing in. So I had to have, a certain amount of mass on that. You know, I wasn't, and you know, at the time I thought I was, you know, pretty much in shape. I was, you know, maybe not ripped, but I was not like super fat. But then you look back at the pictures like, damn, you got a big gut, you know, you're looking kind of flabby. Uh, and so, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't that I was, uh, you know, I mean, I guess my focus athletically was in a different area and 
you know, I was, I was just trying to, to be as strong as possible and, and eating a, a lot of, just a lot of stuff. And, and much of it was, you know, sort of processed food. It wasn't necessarily all, I mean, in retrospect, it was probably more junk food than I thought, but I mean, it's just, uh, you know, a very different thing. I mean, I, up until, I mean, I, I, cause I, I had kind of gone this period where I could just out train everything. I was out running sprints, you know, doing 48 inch box jumps at 280 pounds, uh, you know, uh, deadlifting, you know, 500 pounds for sets of 10 easy, you know, with, with bands added on that and doing, you know, high box squats with eight, 800, 900,000 pounds on my back. I mean, I was doing all this stuff, training really hard and heavy, but, uh, you know, my diet just was not appropriate and it's all down to diet. Really. I mean, I train, uh, very similar to how I trained back then. And, you know, it's just a change in diet. And now I'm, you know, I've got, you know, a nice you know, trim midsection. I'm, you know, real lean and I'm, I'm still, you know, real strong. So, um, okay. Yeah. It was definitely a sizable difference, uh, in the, in the gut part anyway. So what, Let's talk about what you said you eat steak twice a day, potentially. Uh, and then do you still go until you're hungry? Is that how you, is that, or do you wait for the body to say, Hey, I'm hungry. And then you eat or how do you, and how the hell do you prepare for that on the road? Well, I mean, to be fair, I'm mostly home now. I've, I've, I've got the fortune where I do most of my work from home and I, and I just, I've got a grill and it's nice weather. And I mean, I get up, I get up, throw some steaks in the grill, cook them up, eat them. And then, when I get hungry again, I'll throw some more. I mean, I, I mean, it is, I eat till I'm hungry. I mean, I eat till I'm full. And when I'm not hungry, I don't eat. I mean, it's as simple as that. I, I eat just like, again, like any other animal on the planet would eat, you know, you eat, you eat for the reason of getting nutrition. Um, do I, I like the food? I mean, I, 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 I generally look forward to every meal. I mean, I'm always excited to eat, you know, from, from what I'm eating, but yeah, I don't, uh, I don't have too much trouble with that. Um, right now, as I'm training, you know, getting ready for the world championship, my appetite's gone up a little bit because my intensity's gone up. And so now I'm some days five, six, seven pounds of meat in a day. You know, my, my average kind of baseline is about four. Um, so sometimes I'm eating three times a day a little bit because to, to fuel my extra training demands. Um, but when I'm on the road, I mean, uh, it just depends where I'm at. You know, sometimes I'll go to one of those Brazilian all-you-can-eat steakhouses and I'll just load up and throw down, you know, four pounds of meat in one sitting. And, and, and I, that might be my only meal that day. Or I'll sometimes just go get a burger patty you know, at, a, at, a, at a fast food place and no bun and no nothing else, just a burger patty. And I can get that pretty inexpensively. So just out of curiosity, do you ever, I mean, do you ever veer off? Meaning like, you know, I mean, it's holidays, right? So Christmas, Thanksgiving, do you veer off and eat shit every now and then or no? Uh, generally, no. I mean, I, I, I like I said, for me, a cheat meal might be Greek yogurt. I mean, that would be like as, as sort of off plan as I get. I mean, I had uh, on my son's birthday last November, I had a piece of cake. Uh, and this year, I didn't, you know, whatever. But I mean, I, you know, Thanksgiving, I just say I had steak for Thanksgiving. So um, the answer is generally no. I mean, and I like I said, when I when I had a piece of cake on my son's birthday and then another one on my daughter's birthday, six months later, I mean, I just didn't feel good. I ate it and I was like, man, I, I, it wasn't as memorably pleasurable to me as, as I thought it would be. It wasn't as satisfying anymore. And, you know, and I just felt like garbage for, you know, a half hour for, you know, half a day or a day afterwards. And I was like, eh, I don't really miss it that much. You know what? I'm glad you said that actually. So one of the things my wife is, you know, she's a little bit younger than me. So she Googles the shit out of everything. 
Um, and she she said, and I don't know where she got this. I don't know if it was just uh, statistics that she looked up or what. But she said, you know, depending on what you put in your body the day before, it can absolutely affect. We were really we were talking the realm of my stomach can affect what happens the next day. How true is that? No, I think it's it's certainly true. I mean, you know, we we do respond to the things we put in our body. I mean, it's it's, it's not crazy to, to to say that. And you know, our digestive system takes you know, depending on what what the food is, you know, twenty four seventy two hours to fully process food through us. And so, yeah, I mean, there there can be an effect that can last for uh, you know twenty four hours or more for sure. It can be delayed a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, you can. You can go, I mean, the simplest answer is what's a hangover. I mean, you go out and pound, uh, you know, you know, you go out and have 12 vodka shots and the next day you feel like garbage. You feel like garbage for, you know, 14, 16, 18 hours. So, I mean, what we ingest, whether it's alcohol or food, will have an effect on our, on our, on our performance and our physiology. Uh, you know what? I really didn't think about it like that. I don't, so I, I, I'm actually sober. I've been sober for a little over 10 years. So, the analogy of the alcohol, it just didn't even dawn on me that, yes, you're right. If you go out and have a bunch of shots of vodka or whatever the hell it is you drink, the next day you absolutely will feel whatever it was you put it. And I never, I never thought about it until you just said that. Um, so you, uh, what do you still, do you still, you, you don't operate anymore, right? Meaning you don't physically do surgery anymore. Yeah, I mean, I, I I have the opportunity to do that, but I'm the more I get away from that, and the more success I have with clients and the other business ventures I've gotten into, I'm less and less attracted to that. I mean, honestly, um, unfortunately, the healthcare system has largely become a disease management industry, and it's it's not where my passion lies anymore. It's not it's not the way that I feel I can best effectively serve people. I think I, I will have a bigger reach. Uh, I will help more people in a more meaningful way than what I'm doing now. And I've put my sort of passion into this and I've got a lot of ventures going on that, 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 you know, going back into clinical medicine, being a surgeon, which you can't really do half-ass. You got to be all in or not. And I just don't have the, one, I don't have the, the, the passion to do it. And two, I just don't have the, you know, the personal situation, which would, which would work best for me right now. So I'm, 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 I'm going a different route and the more I do this, the less likely it is that I'm going to go back to do that. Well, I'm glad you, so I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, so most of the people that listen to this podcast are entrepreneurs. So you had mentioned you have other business ventures. What are those? Yeah. So I've got a uh, CTO out in Silicon Valley and we've just started a, uh, it's basically a health coaching company websites uh we've we've you know we launched not even a not in three weeks ago we've already got several hundred people in our system working for us um you know so we've had a rapid you know rapid you know interest in our product market fit it seems to be taking off pretty well um and so what we're gonna we're we're calling we're, we're going in what's called i think it's called a, i like to call this the health creation business and so we're taking sick you know, tired people that have failed healthcare and we're, we're, we're taking them, taking them on. And we're, we're going to, I think, produce a better product, i.e. healthier people. We're going to, we're going to get rid of sick people and turn them into healthy people rather than just manage their diseases, which, which the healthcare industry largely does. And so that is what we're doing. I mean, we've got a lot of different 
things, ways we can grow from here. We've got our MVP or minimum viable product up and running. It's getting a lot of traction. Uh, we're growing every day. The people, the people that are involved are extremely passionate because they've been, most of them have been, you know, touched by what I've done and they, and they become passionate about it because they become, you know, extremely good advocates because it's affected their lives and they see the same thing I've seen. So uh, that has been extremely exciting to be a part of. Um, you know, I, I guess I did, my book came out, Carnivore Diet just was released. It's number one in a bunch of categories, selling well on Amazon. And, um, I've, you know, I've, I've got all kinds of speaking engagements throughout the world that I've been asked to speak over the world on this. And so, uh, you know, and then I've got, I've got some consulting as well. I do, I do client consulting. Uh, which I'll probably be doing less and less as I, as I want to farm that out to a wider audience. And I can only see, again, it's, I can only see so many people a day, but if I have a hundred or a thousand coaches underneath me, we can see, you know, that many times more people. And that's where I think this needs to go. And I'm doing what I can to make that happen. So just out of curiosity, why, why is it that you want to make the, 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 the larger impact opposed to, working on people one-on-one in an operating room, what's, what sparked your desire to, to help as many people as you possibly can? Well, I mean, I mean, as at, at heart, I'm a physician. I mean, I, I care about people. I, I, it's, it's, it's sort of, it, some, at sometimes it's enraging and sometimes it's sad to walk out in public and see so many people who clearly are getting the wrong advice who are clearly following the wrong path. And I think the solution is far more simple than we think it is. I think if we had, you know, enough impact, we could literally change, you know, we, we spent $3.6 trillion a year on healthcare in the U S and we, we, we lag behind most of the developed world in our health outcomes. And so I think we're going the wrong way and we just keep, we, we keep pouring more money and technology into a broken system. And so I, I just think this is a different path, a different way forward. And in my view, I think the market forces will, will align with what I'm doing when the results are there. And I, I just, you know, I've seen something I haven't seen in my entire life as far as my medical career, as far as outcomes, the, the degree and the, uh, you know, the impressiveness of the results has been just something that, you know, I can't stop, you know, I can't pretend it doesn't, doesn't happen anymore. So I, I feel compelled to do it. For sure. So your coaches, is it, are they online? Are they coaching people online and they're coaching people with their nutrition and exercise? How does that work? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously a carnivore diet can be very simplistic. You know, you can tell somebody to eat steak and drink water and, 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 and go away. And a lot of, many people will find that's all they need, you know, and they, and they do well, but there's many people that have questions. They have personal uh, um, different struggles. We know that, when we look at successful implementation of any, any modality for when it comes to chronic disease, we always know the outcomes are better when the participants have support and coaching we know helps. And so these people are basically, and it is online. It's like what we're doing now. It's mostly over Zoom right now. Eventually we'll go to a mobile app as we get funding and, and, and the technology or the budget to do the technology. But so it's going to be, and what it is, is just these people are, are providing information, they're providing motivation, they're providing support, they're helping with long-term compliance. It is all online. We have online communities where people just sit there and talk. We Like every morning I have a 9 a.m. meeting uh, to open to anybody. And all the people who want to come on, we get on it. We have a Zoom call with 25, 30, 40, 50 people, and we just go there. I, just, I, I say what I want to say for 
a few minutes and I, and then I open it up and people ask questions and people are supporting each other and they're making these relationships because a, a diet, an all meat diet can be kind of isolating because as you are well aware that most people think you're crazy, uh, it's not appropriate, you're going to die, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, so these people are sometimes they, they just get overwhelmed by that, by all the negativity. And so they need this support system. And so this is what we are providing right now. And it's been, you know, everybody is participating has really uh, been, been helped by it and really enjoys it. Well, you know, my just with my whole career in, in training and coaching, people need the like you said, they need the accountability. I mean, let's just be honest. It not everybody is as regimented on their diet and exercises, say maybe someone like you or, or me. And I, and, and I'm going to be totally upfront. I, I slack on my exercise from time to time because I get fucking bored. You know, I just, um, it is what it is. And, and, you know, when I see a, a certain number, so to speak, hit on the scale, I know it's time to ratchet my, my fitness up. Uh, or or ratchet my diet down, whichever it may be. Um, so that's super cool. How many coaches do you have right now? You know, we started, we, we opened it up on November 19th. I think we have, of the people that signed up for certification, I think we have about 125 of those. And then I think so far, of the ones that have finished the certification process, around 25 so far. So Very cool. uh, that's what we've, we've got. And then we've got, you know, quite a few more members and, and so on and so forth. But we're, you know, really at the very beginning stages of this. And so we're, we're you know, we're learning as we go, you know, we're, we're troubleshooting stuff. Thankfully, my CTO is, is an excellent uh, data scientist, AI engineer person that, that really understands it. She's also a carnivore and, again, is highly motivated and passionate, as is everybody in this program. So we just got a group of people that are, extremely motivated, passionate, and, uh, you know, just, just doing the right thing. But I mean, we are, um, you know, we, we see where we need to, we see where we need to go next and we're just kind of plugging in the, you know, we, we, because you never know when you, when you launch something, you're like, well, what's going to happen? We have no idea. And you see what happens. You're like, okay, now where do you pivot? How do you shift? You know, we're, we're still at the very much the lean, running lean and mean stage. You know, we're, 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 we're you know, we, we actually, we fortunately we've got a nice influx of, you know, cash from, from starting, but we're, we're not using any of that yet. We're trying to figure out how do we, where do we put this to, to, to best effectively grow to where we want to go, which is, you know, I think it's probably about a five year, five year plan before we can get to where we want to be. And, you know, the question becomes, do we go get funding, you know, seed round money, series A money, so on and so forth through the traditional routes, or do we just see what we can do on our own? And, and I don't know where we're going to go yet. Well, it's really hard to say because, you know, I, it was, Interesting. I was talking to a guy yesterday and his business has grown 2,300% in, in like 24 months. And it actually may have been less than that, but can you fathom this growing 2,300% over the next two years? I mean, that's a massive scale. And he had to carry And he he's in, um, he does solar panels, which I thought was interesting, but, uh, but he has to carry all the debt is to carry the, the material, the, the contractors. And so if you're not prepared for that, that scale, you you'll sh- could shut down. And he said last year they did about $17 million. And he said they almost had to close the doors, which is crazy. So if you're not prepared for that, there's a good chance that the shit can crumble right from out from under you. Yeah. I mean, I mean, fortunately we don't, 
we don't have a lot of expense. I mean, we're all virtual. It's all, you know, like I said, so we're, we're not, we don't require a lot of product to, to, to store or anything like that. So we are, and my co-founder assures me we can handle millions of people on our platform the way it's been built. You know, it might be we have to pay for more bandwidth, so on and so forth. But I mean, right now um, we can scale quite a bit before we run into those issues. Now, if we, if we venture into, other areas which I potentially might want to go into, then then those those type of issues may uh, may may creep up. But uh, for now, um, I think we're, we're we're positioned pretty well to handle growth. That's fantastic. So you said you were speaking a lot uh, over, uh, I guess, twenty twenty. Uh, how many speaking engagements do you have? Do you know right off the top of your head? Um, I think, you know, I know that like, I, I know I'm going to uh, several ones in the U S I know I've got one, just a little quick one in Omaha on my birthday in January, but then I'm going to, uh, uh, the UK, uh, then I've got to go to Spain. Uh, I, I may be going to, let's see, I've got maybe something in Brazil, Germany, uh, the Denmark, Hungary, perhaps Indonesia and Bali. Uh, so, I mean, I've got a lot of things, you know, most of them are solidified. There's a few, they're still kind of possibly, you know, and then, and then several other U S speaking engagements. So I've got probably at least one, one large event a month, you know, and probably five or six overseas trips this year. So, uh, for quite a bit, quite honestly, you know, more, probably as much as I want to do at this point. Sure. So, um, that's awesome. Like that, that's really, that, that is really cool. Um, and are you based? Are you not based in the U.S.? Yeah, no, I'm here. I'm here. I'm out in Southern California, so I mean, I am. I'm, you know, I'm not out in the out in the cornfield here, but I mean, or, you know, in a, in a field of field of uh, grass with cows. But yeah, so I'm. I'm, you know, kind of in Orange County, you know. So I'm. I'm it's reasonably easy, easy to travel out of here. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so um, well, uh. So we can wrap up here in just a second, Sean. I wanted to ask you, uh, I know, oh, I know what it was. So there's two things. Uh, one, one is the kind of meat, when you say you eat steak, is it a particular kind? Is it uh, all beef? Is it, what, do you, what is it that you have? Or do you, and do you switch that up? You know, I generally eat what I like, <laughs> which I mean, as crazy as that sound, um, I, I find that uh, meat with enough fat in it makes it more palatable. And so I often will eat things like ribeyes and brisket and New York's and T-bones and stuff like that. So I'd say probably 75% of what I eat is going to be a ribeye steak. You know, that that's just because it, it, it has enough fat. I think there's humans evolved eating enough fat. You know, I mean, you don't have to like drown in fat, but you have to get adequate fat. And I think it has, comes down to palatability. And so, um, you know, eating dry, plain chicken breasts for a long period of time will make anybody crazy. And so you've got you've to feed yourself because we have essential fats, just like we have essential amino acids. And so you've got to get enough of that in there. And, and so that's what I do. I mean, I just listen to my appetite. And sometimes... Um, it's more appealing than other days and all this kind of, it's very intuitive. And so I think that's how I, I tend to tend to eat. How, uh, how long have you been on this all uh, complete carnivore? Has it been since you were 44? No, I started uh, just before I turned 50. 
Um, so this, this, this month was my third anniversary. So I just passed my third anniversary. So I've been doing it for three years. Um, I was on a ketogenic diet prior to that. And then prior to that, I was on a low carb paleo, you know, type of type of deal. It's interesting about paleo or ketogenic or Atkins. It's really all the same. There's definitely some similarities. I think, I think the benefits from all these diets are exclusion of junk food, inclusion of whole foods. And I, and I honestly think that meat is the, the most nutritious food we can put in our bodies. And so I think that's why myself and really thousands of other people have seen just phenomenal results to include resources, you know, improvements in all kinds of diseases that otherwise don't, don't respond to anything else. Depression, you know, autoimmune disease, psoriasis, rheumatoid arthritis, you know, inflammatory bowel disease, all these things just get better on this diet, which is, I think, truly remarkable. Perfect. Well, look, I won't hold you up any longer. I really, really appreciate you coming on today. And, you know, I mean, I know you're getting tugged at from probably 500 different directions or more. So uh, I really appreciate you giving me the amount of time that you did today. It it really does mean a lot. And so uh, I just wanted to say that. And, and unless you have anything else, we can wrap up. I really appreciate you, brother. Yeah, I mean, I just encourage people to be open-minded, look into, you know, some of our material. If you want to see some really dramatic uh, success stories, check out MeetRx. It's like Meet Prescription, MeetRx.com. You know, you can check that stuff out. And then uh, I've got a number of social media stuff that you guys may want to see if you want to hear more of my craziness. But uh, anyway. So where can we find you on social? Yeah, so Instagram is is going to be Sean, S-H-A-W-N, Baker, B-A-K-E-R, 1967. I'm on Twitter. S Baker MD. And then uh, YouTube, I put out a uh, video pretty much every morning. Now it's just Sean Baker and you might take Sean Baker carnivore. You'll, you'll find my videos. And so those are probably the three places I'm most apt to uh, do material on, on social media. Very cool. Well, Sean, thank you very much, brother. And uh, best wishes to you throughout two t- 2020. And uh, again, thank you very much for your time, brother. Thank you. My pleasure. If you took anything away from this podcast, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and go check out some other episodes on SuccessfulLifePodcast.com. This is the Successful Life. Thank you for tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember, greatness is a journey, not a destination. Continue your pursuit by exploring more resources and insights over at coreybarrier.com. Until next time, keep leading, keep learning, and keep striving for excellence. Stay inspired and see you on the next episode.